episode of the Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask about their starting industry, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Republic by Camouflage. Ryan, who are you and what do you do? Well, hi, um, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Ryan Payton and I'm a developer at Camouflage and we're working on uh, Republic and, uh, and yeah, I, I mostly just, uh, I just try to help the team, uh, with the development process, writing on this, writing the story, uh, working on the design of the game, uh, just helping out with production, basically anything I can do to, to get each one of the five episodes out the door. Yes. And we'll be talking about Republic a great deal in the second half, but be in the bits of the first half, but really want to focus on you and what makes you tick. How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games as opposed to tabletop games that I also play a lot of? Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a decision that many of us have to make, you know, in our, in our careers early on. Uh, but yeah, for me, how I got my start was uh, just a very serendipitous, uh, just growing up, playing lots of video games, uh, going to college. Uh, decided mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a computer science major because I, I figured that was the best and quickest path to be able to work on on, on these games that I had so much passion for. Uh, I, I failed miserably at college uh, in the computer science trek, but I was doing very good in my Japanese classes. So I, right. I shif- shifted my major, uh, graduated thinking that I, my dream was over, that I would not be able to work on any uh, on, on, on games because uh, I wasn't able to graduate with any kind of computer science uh, degree or, or minor and I moved to Japan uh, as, a, as an English teacher, and I, um, I contacted uh, one of my favorite video game magazines at the time. It was called XBN, or Xbox Nation Magazine, right. uh, from, Ziff, from Ziff Davis. And I said, hey, uh, I was writing video game reviews for my school newspaper. Here are some clippings of them. Uh, and uh, if you want a Japanese correspondent uh, who's going to follow the Xbox beat in Japan, uh, I'm your guy. Yeah. And, uh, straight, like, because it's probably the, that's probably the first and only time anybody's ever suggested that uh, they take they 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 get a job uh, covering the Xbox beat in Japan. That's uh, probably why I got why I got the gig. Yeah, I'm just trying, so, to, <laughs> I'm trying to digest that sentence. Yes, uh, it was. It's, I, it's, I, I still sorry, love. No I, I still love. I no no no. I still love following the the, the beat uh, of, about Xbox in Japan because it's such a weird clash of cultures. Yeah, and it wasn't. I mean, people have been reported. I read this excellent report about how Xbox One is. Is falling on, on its on its rear end in Japan, as as is the rest of the world. But that's a discussion for another time. And the people said, "Oh, it's because Japanese don't like you know foreign consoles." Complete lie. That is a lie. Um, it's not true at all. It's just about what the sort of games that are being 
produced on it, but you probably know that far better than I. So, okay. And that worked out? Yeah, it, it worked out great. Um, it, it, it helped me keep my sanity as I was living in, um, in rural Japan, like in a, in a fishing village, uh, teaching English only a couple hours a week. But meantime, I'm usually on, on forums like NeoGAF and, uh, and reading Famitsu magazines every week and learning Japanese and, uh, and writing, writing uh, the best articles I could, um, which expanded over to Wired Magazine, to 1up.com, uh, this Japanese uh, newspaper called Japan Times. And I ended up writing for Famitsu Magazine as well, like the biggest uh, magazine in Japan for games. It still is, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I ended up making a, you know, quite, a, quite a good living doing that. Uh, and then my biggest break was at E3 2005. I flew into L.A. to cover, um, cover the, the show. And uh, my boss at the time couldn't make his interview with Hideo Kojima. And he called me desperately and said, I need you to run to this room and interview Hideo about MGS3 subsistence. <laughs> and uh, and I had just played Metal Gear Solid Three, so it was perfect timing. Yes. And uh, and again, long story short, uh, Hideo had noticed by the end of the interview uh, that that I, I I spoke Japanese, and he was just looking for coincidentally a a, a kind of a, an international coordinator for for Kojima Productions at Konami, and asked me if I would come in an interview, and uh, I did, and I got the job. So uh, wow, and then, that's then, yeah. yeah. Worked on Metal Gear for for three years. That's amazing. A story which uh, something good happens at E3. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, well, I, I've it, been to E3 as well, so, so I, I know what it's like. Uh, well, so. it, it, started, it, it ended very well, but it began very, very poorly because it took me 24 hours. And as you know, this probably traveling you know, across the world to, to these events. It took me 24 hours to get to from door to door from my fishing village to uh, the convention center in L.A. And by that time, I was so exhausted that I literally passed out in front of the booth at Konami um, for, I don't know how long. And the first thing I did was like check my wallet because literally I was just like laying there on the floor, um, just from exhaustion. I was also sick. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it started out very poorly. Um, but I think it's very funny and, and just so such a strange story that I ended up like literally like just falling down right in front of the, the Konami booth. And then <laughs> who, who knew like a couple of days later, I'd be interviewing Hideo for, for this, uh, for this article. So that is, that is incredible. Yeah. So you were there for a little while, say the least, uh, working uh, on Metal Gear, right? Yes, yeah. So I, I was able to be there for the entire production of Metal Gear Solid 4. Uh, and I also was able to ship a number of different games uh, during that time as well at Konami. So it was oh, an yes. awesome experience. Um, okay, so moving on then. Um, you've now you've, you've, you've lived there and left there and you've now... Uh, created camouflage is that right well before that I, I got a job offer from microsoft to be oh. director on halo 4 oh right okay. and so i did that for three years and then <laughs> and then left uh uh to, to to start camouflage and work on republic so what, what do you what do you make of uh, how things have gone with uh microsoft and and, and how they're dealing with with with, with halo you got any opinion on that or would you rather not <laughs> uh, uh, i mean it's it's tough as somebody who who put his heart and soul uh, into that game for three years. Uh, really, my my personal relationships really suffered during that time. Uh, it was a big transition for me, having never really worked formally in the states before, and and, and being in a position of such of such responsibility and power, um, and and being ranked so high within the Microsoft uh, uh, corporate chain as well was uh, had its own uh, share of challenges. So um, it's a it's a it's a kind of a complex time for me to look back on. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, I would just say that, um, you know, I still have a lot of friends there and I'm rooting for them. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the same token, 
I've, I've been able to learn a, a lot more about the development of, of Halo, um, and, and then and specifically about the about the design philosophies of Bungie, and uh, getting to know those guys over time too has been a great privilege. And uh, you know, I'm trying to spend as much time as I can uh, in my in my free hours to play some Destiny because I'm just a, a huge fan of that game and a huge fan of what Bungie's doing. And uh, I would just say that if like you know, I have to be as careful as I as I can be. But uh, understood. Yeah. That, um, is that if my if, when I look at Halo, I, I just I, I want I want them to be ambitious and I want them to be I want them to move that 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 franchise forward and I want them to take risks. I think like Bungie has been taking risks with Destiny. And uh, and that's really my hopes for for that team moving forward. Yeah, I've been playing it on my PS4 Destiny. That is, mm-hmm. and yes, uh, yeah, it's been it's been it reminds us my friends because we used to play a lot of Diablo, and uh, actually we still do. Although Diablo's got to a point where my wizard is like this Technicolor Death Machine, uh-huh. can't <laughs> nice. actually see what's going on on the screen. It was like, Chris, can you stop firing? What everything's dead now. Okay. It must feel good, though. It does feel great, but it is to the point like, I don't know, just keep firing, Chris. Just keep firing. Okay, stop. That's pretty funny. Yeah, like, yeah, once you get to that point, you know, it's, it's all over for, for all the enemies. Exactly. Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. It's like, it's me running around when, some, when something actually does eventually hit me. I'm going, no touchy, no touchy. <laughs> and you're playing that uh, PS4. Yeah, well, we do play uh, Diablo on PS4, but we also play Diablo on, on oh, sorry, uh, Destiny on PS4 as well. I see. We have a lot of like similarities. We like stuff. Mm. I mean, these these things are quest for truth, justice, and better stuff. Yes. Not in that order. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's that's for uh, so Destiny for me is it's, it's nice. It's it's a relaxing game. It really is. Sometimes it isn't, of course, when you do those raids and stuff. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but when you're actually marching, um, just grinding away, which is not an unpleasant experience, it's it's good. It's good yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. But I just wanted to ask you about Halo because you know it's interesting where it's gone or where it's going. You know, and you now hear about the new one that's come. Well, the new one, but the revamped sort of remastered edition for the Xbox One. And they're going to say, oh, it's a twenty megabyte or twenty gigabyte day one patch to get all the content. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. Uh... <laughs> What? I don't even know. What, I don't even know what to say about it. It seems that that be, that being said, like it's a it's a very generous offering uh, that they're doing for sixty dollars or I don't know how many pounds. Forty, um, 40 pounds. For, uh, forty pounds, and uh, yeah, it's a it's it's the type of product that I think Microsoft's really good at. Um, I think it's a uh, it kind of gets back to on the creative side. Um, I think Halo Four is what it needed to be at the time, you know, given the, the, the constraints and needing to get the game out before the, the 360 uh, lifetime was was up, and uh, you know, getting the team up to speed with the with the technology and everything. But with the Halo Five, uh, I'm just I'm re- again, I'm like really rooting for them, and really, I'm re- I really hope that they're going to be pushing uh, first person shooters in an interesting new direction because that's at, at the end of the day, I think that's what Halo Halo was built upon, and I think that's what Halo's legacy needs to be moving forward as well. One of the most surprising recent first-person shooters to come out that I really enjoyed was Wolfenstein. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, a lot of people just, really. Yeah. <laughs> Where does that come from? You know. I know. Yeah, it seems like so bizarre, but uh, yeah, good for those guys. Uh, I think yeah. it was um, up in Sweden. I think right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. The Machine Head games. I want to say. Yeah, it just got to the point. I mean, you like shooting things, right? And Nazis. Yes. What about robot Nazis? Okay, that'll do. Brilliant. Off you go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It strangely like feels refreshing in, in some regards, which is—I mean, again, I tip my hat to those guys. 
Speaking of tipping one's hat, um, who are or what is your your biggest influence is as regards to your creative endeavours? What is the thing that you find yourself returning to over and again, like a, a moon orbiting a planet? Mm. You know, like it gives us this thing, this like anchor. Whether you like it or not, it keeps on cropping up. What's this thing? What's the thing? <laughs> I think uh, anybody who plays Republic will probably guess uh, <laughs> that. Uh, for for better for worse, you know the thing that keeps cropping up, um, and, and and mostly for worse, I would say recently is, is Metal Gear, um, and you know growing up I was just the biggest Metal Gear fan, um, playing Metal Gear Solid one in my parents' basement and when I was in high school, and uh, I was just it just really hit me hard. Um, the sure it, looking back, there's a lot of really silly elements to the game, but the fact that they were talking about nuclear proliferation back in 1998 in a game with like voiceovers and these cinematic camera angles. Uh, it was just, it, it really opened my eyes in terms of what was possible uh, through video game storytelling. And to this day, I think um, the Metal Gear franchise has really, really interesting, really cool things. And uh, yeah, the influence is obviously very apparent when you, when you play our game. Uh, but uh, but from, from the reason why I say it kind of for worse recently is because, you know, as we're developing the story and we're talking about different themes or moments that we want to have, uh, more often than not, our writer, Brenda Murphy, who has never played a Metal Gear game, by the way, uh, suggests many things. He'll say, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? And I have to always say, no, Metal, Gear, Metal Gear's already done that. They've already done that. They've already done that. They've already done that. And it's going to come across as like a copycat. Right. So, but in terms of aspiration, though, um, you know, I feel like the maturation of games still has a, lot, a long way to go. So I, I oftentimes look to film in terms of where I, I hope I can be and where I hope other games can can aspire to. So when I look at, at Kubrick films or I look at Fincher films in particular, I think about, uh, or in Aronofsky films, I think, man, someday I'd like, I don't want to copy these guys, but I'd like to be able to find my own voice and have that kind of, they, they just do such a great job in terms of um, having a unique look and feel to, to their films. And I, I'd love to have that for our games in the future. That's brilliant. Uh, I have to say the best developers, uh, I actually made a joke about this, uh, a BAFTA event uh, said, we need, more developers who hate Star Wars. <laughs> well, not, not so much hate Star Wars, but know nothing about Star Wars. Yeah, that's or, a, I. You I know. told. Yeah, I know. You know what? I would. I totally agree with that. I'd love. I'd love for those more developers who like two thousand one more than they like Star Wars. I totally agree. Because there was a debate about diversity. Like, oh, we normally need more women. I said, no, we need more people. Whether they're black, white, women, men, doesn't matter. But just people who you know read some literature. <laughs> Like yeah. genuine literature. Yep. 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 <laughs> not, Agreed. Not, not a book on C plus and maybe some fanfic on Star Wars. No offense to those guys, but I really would like someone to read some literature, then make some you know, then make and that's that and that's happening. That is yeah, yeah. happening. You know, no, that's you. that's a really great point. And uh <laughs> and that's one of the things that I'm really excited about when, when it comes to the you know, the engine that we work really closely with in this company, Unity. Yeah. Um Unity is like really, really democratize the, the whole aspect of game oh. development. And so now we have people in all different kind of cultures making games. And I'm, I just, I'm really, really excited about the next, you know, five years when we start seeing these, these teams become more and more talented and then just bringing you know, unique perspectives. You know, there are cultures that didn't just grow up on, like you were talking about like Star Wars and Tolkien. And yeah. I, and I'm very excited about that. I, I you know, it's Dickens. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. but it's really, really good stories. Not just, well written, beautifully written, of course, but you know, although everyone keeps on dying in them because that's what they did back then. They, they right. just, oh, they're dead. What well, of consumption? What is that? Just it, they stuff. 
<laughs> be thankful you live now, not then. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and but it's just a little passion. I'm, I'm getting worked up, but it's just something I. I, I, I do get angry about when people say, I want shooty things in the face. I actually, I like, I loved, loved Gone Home. I really yeah. enjoyed that. that, that yeah, game. Steve and the guys did a great job on that game for sure. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it was a different, it just felt like a different experience. Uh, it's something new and fresh. And, uh, and that's what you, ultimately, that's what I think a lot of creators just aspire to do, right? And you just get, you just get tired of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. you just, I do. You just want to... See, and that's why I like Republic because underneath there's this deeply dark. I mean, the way you drip feed the information, I know you desperately want to tell more. You feel that the storyteller, you want to tell more, but you can't because if you blurt it all out in one go, it just the whole mythos will just, you know, it's like the worst epilogue ever. You know, to, oh, to generate. It's like, funny. Um, no it's one funny needs to know can... about this. <laughs> no, you know, it's really funny that you that you bring that up. I, I never heard that from anybody. But uh, it's absolutely true. Thank you. Uh, and I, I'm I'm really surprised that um, you're able to even, like feel that uh, as you're playing the game. But uh, it is a struggle. Uh, we um, have so many different payoffs, and we are we're just waiting for episodes four and five to finally get out the door. Yes, I mean my way of playing games is I love exploring the worlds that the developers create. I've I've had that since I was very very young. I love delving into worlds that others have created. Which is probably why I loved science fiction so much, and then eventually went back down in down across into literature and, and other mm. sort of creative, and that's why. And the best way to communicate that is is through story and and narration. I know we get a lot of people bashing away through cutscenes. I like cutscenes because it tells you the story. I yeah. like them, but I, I feel loath to admit it because I'm some sort of pariah for saying it. Isn't uh, that funny? I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a uh, you know the quick time events. I could do less with those. Yes, we could all do that. But I'm Agreed. talking about you know narrative and there's ways and means to do this. And I just love that you know. Uh, and one of the things I delve in, I mean, I'm, I'm an explorer. I mean, the reason I stopped playing WoW is because I saw everything I at see. that point. I got I got the Burning Crusade expansion and I saw I mean everything. I went raiding for one purpose and the purpose was was to see everything the game had to offer, see all the dungeons, all the monsters, and then I was done. <laughs> yeah, you know that's a that, you know there's so you've probably seen like this uh, this diagram of like different types of player player types, and so you definitely fall into the I think it was color coded last time I saw it as green, uh, which right. is explorer. Yes, and uh, and. You know, I, I'm actually really envious of those type of, of, of folks like you because I maybe I'm just too ADD. I don't skip cutscenes, but um, I I have a hard time kind of just soaking in one thing. But when I do find, and it, it happens from time to time, and Metal Gear was one of those things yeah. um, that I just wanted to soak up every single thing about the game. And 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 I find that those are the games uh, and those are the experiences that I that I remember the most and that I have the most stuff. Uh, I just have the fondest memories of. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, you probably heard my cat like yelling in the background. Yeah, cats um, do that, they're, they're especially when you're not giving them attention. I know, and I think they're hungry, so I, I feel like I should just, uh, I should just uh, like throw them some snacks or something like that. So sorry, this is like, totally unprofessional. I'm <laughs> doing this, uh, I'm doing this from home, so uh, I, I, as to not distract the team. I've had one developer set there. He recorded it over a, in a well, I was in a coffee, coffee shop. That was fine, although you know the coffee machine was going off like. A oh, I imagine that was, yeah, <laughs> they got pretty. Pretty unruly. <laughs> it did, but he didn't mind. I didn't mind. It was very casual. Uh, so anyway, stuff. So where were we? Yes. 
Who do you most admire? It's probably an obvious answer to this, or maybe it isn't. You might throw it back and go, oh, the makers of FIFA, they're amazing. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Just... <laughs> you never know. I've, I've had this, you know, people sort of say, oh, yeah, I love NHL. Okay. And they're making this big dungeon explore game and like, yeah, I'm playing NHL. Um, so who do you think? It could be a company or a person or a pet. Do you most admire? <laughs> probably not your cats right now. but uh... Yeah, no, not right now. But um, <laughs> uh, the, the, I have a, a, a great... Uh, um, admiration for 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 two two people if that's okay if i can break the rule oh, a little bit by all means go for um it. it's the the two games that i the the, the 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 directors behind the two games that I, I think were the most influential for me in this past generation and uh the first being uh bioshock and ken levine um what he just done with storytelling i think is is remarkable and uh, speaking of uh creating worlds where you can just kind of soak in uh, you know, Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite, I felt like were were games that I I, I just loved. Just just seeing every single kind of nook and cranny, and uh, and 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 I think he he taught he taught me and he taught a lot of developers um, about unique ways of of telling your story. Again, actually without cutscenes, so it kind of felt like the anti Metal Gear game in a lot of ways, um, which I which I liked. Um, and the second game, or the second yeah, the second game that was highly influential was Dark Souls and uh, and and Miyazaki Hidetaka. Uh, he's just. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him recently, and that that guy is is he is the real deal. Um, they're very humble, isn't he? Like, they're, they're, they're it's way like, too humble. They're like, I don't have an ego. What? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I just don't. I remember meeting him at the Games Combat three years ago, just when Dark Souls oh, was nice. out, and uh, he was just like, "This is our game. Do you like it? It's really good." Like, Are you kidding? <laughs> and it was just he's so, unbelievable. It's just like you don't really know do you like, no I, I don't know and that's lovely because that's the they're the best creators no offense to yourself or the other but the, no no those, no, no. Those, he, those he's the, like that it's like don't have an ego just don't have one he's a rare breed and uh and i'm at, at times i wonder if it's just an act I, I wonder like if he goes home going yep yep i know i'm awesome uh but i don't think he does i no. I, I really do think that he's he's really that humble and he's he's still very hungry and one of the, the best things about him is the fact that he's a a not so old uh, Japanese game director. Uh, yeah. The the Japanese industry, and we don't have to go on a, too much of a tangent, but they they have a real struggle right now with um, just the aging population in general, but just lack of like young directors in the games industry. And so this guy has still got a lot of energy in his tank, and um, he's got a very bright future ahead of him already. He's and he's already created so many um, so many good games. So uh, yeah, he in the in the way he, he inspires me, I think is the way he thinks about design and and, and differently uh, about how he thinks of the challenges, obviously. But even just seeing him interact with his team, um, I came back to Seattle uh, being really inspired by just his positivity and his just his just his passion uh, and his work ethic. So. Yeah, that's inspired stuff to be inspired by. Um, mm-hmm. So my last question about you, and then we go on to Republic. Sure. And the detailed design questions I got about that. It's my favorite question because it gives me a hint as to what the creative processes are going inside your head, although usually it's a complete tangent. <laughs> what are you playing right now, excluding Republic, of course, excluding the game we're talking about, but what is it that you're cleansing your palate or just distracting you from things that you, you ought not be doing? <laughs> yeah, no, this, I think this is a, a good insight into to who I am and uh, and what's important to me. And, uh, it's and a football I kinda, manager, isn't it? I'm sorry? It's, it's football, football manager. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I remember hearing people talk about it on Twitter. I'm thinking, man, I really, I really want to uh, manage my Seattle Seahawks. And then I realized it was like it's soccer manager. Soccer manager, yeah. Ah, man. Uh, no offense to, uh, to to soccer fans and football fans across the world, but um, yeah. no, it's. Uh, I kind of hinted at it uh, prior, but uh, the the game that I go home and play every single night, uh, yes. and I look forward to it every single night, yes. uh, is 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 Destiny. And um, for a lot of reasons, but um, they've, the way they designed the game is, is such that they really want it to be like kind of a nightly thing uh, as opposed to you kind of binge through it. Uh, and, uh, and for me and my schedule and I think the time type of like the place I am with them in my life right now and that my age, um, Destiny is just the exact uh, kind of game that I want to play right now. And I think the type of people that like the game that, that the folks at Bungie want to make now um, in the sense that uh, that. We all kind of grew up playing PvP and, you know, linking our Xboxes together and doing epic, you know, all-nighters like on Blood Gulch and all that was really, really fun and uh, it was yes, really competitive yes. and lots of trash talking. But I, oh. what, I, what I'm finding over time, and it seems to be pretty, pretty, um, pretty consistent when I talk to you know other folks like in their mid 30s who grew up with that way, is that over time your <laughs> your skills might be just kind of diminishing and your your drive to just pound your impo- opponent, I feel like, is diminishing. And uh, maybe those kids now are playing Dota and League of Legends, which is fine. But for me, when I sit home, I don't want to sit there and like get just get whooped on by uh, by a thirteen year old and then teabagged. Um, what I really want to do is I want to I want to sit down with friends, you know, online and play more PVE, right? Which I think you're experiencing with like Diablo, uh, what people are playing with WoW, and and with 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 Destiny. I just play with uh, with with uh, Nathan, who's one of the designers on Republic, and then. Um, Actually, one of our most generous Kickstarter backers, who I, I met through Kickstarter, um, the three of us, we have a, a strike team, and we play every night. And uh, it's just something that, again, I look, really look forward to. I want to put like an hour, hour and a half into the game, and uh, I just love it. Yeah, it's a great name, though, isn't it? Strike team. Mm-hmm, uh, yes. It just encourages, like, yeah, you, you're actually a forefront. You're a vanguard. Yeah. Uh, up, 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 you know, you're taking point, not just figuratively, literally, although usually it's, it's the, you know, the titan that's really taking point but um yeah you yeah. gotta meet you go go no go on <laughs> no the, yeah you know it's funny their, their their use of vernacular i think is really fascinating as well yeah oh I, yeah yeah language cannot be understated and, mm. and it's importance it has uh, especially especially language you you take from star wars i find <laughs> yeah because <laughs> there's not enough of that oh no there's just not enough um no i i'm with you on on uh Destiny, I think it's a, it's a gloriously beautiful game in all sorts of ways, and um, it, it is a triumph of a game. And I think uh, Destiny, Bungie should be congratulated. I mean, I, I've always loved their output ever since, ever since Marathon. I remember playing Marathon, and I played mm-hmm. the the the, uh, yes. the Myth games one and two. Although I'm very hesitant to say Myth, go don't say Myth, don't say Myth. Damn it, I said Myth. I know. I know. <laughs> It's funny. There's a really unfortunate timing for for those games to come out, you know. Because Myth, they were they were really, really very difficult RTS games, but they were bloody good. Mm, um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, their pedigree is, and the fact that they were in within Microsoft, then extracted themselves out. It's like, how are you doing that uh, with yeah. Bungie? <laughs> we it's a, it's a, it's a. An incredible story that I hope that one day they can tell the whole thing. Um, uh, it just, I think it, and you can feel it with 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 Destiny is that these guys are not done yet. They they have a passion for what they're doing. They have they have they want to do something unique and different. And uh, and 
uh, they're not they're not in it for the money, and they're they're really in it to to, to create new game experiences. And so, uh, yeah, I just have a ton of passion for those guys, and I'm really rooting for them. Brilliant. So that's the end of the first half. Let's move on to the second half of the show, where we talk in detail about Republic. first question this is the zeroth question i know asimov reference but it's basically um tell us about the game tell us about Re- about republic it gives you a yeah, chance to to not so much pitch it but actually describe it to me you know? sure yeah this is the this is the softball the warm-up question it is it is uh yeah so republic is uh is a pretty ambitious uh at the moment uh, mobile only title uh for ios and android uh that's uh it's an episodic stealth adventure game uh, that we've been creating over the, the course of the last three years. Uh, it's, a, it's a game where we put players uh, in the shoes of, of, of being the main protagonist. Um, I really want to make a game uh, that was uh, where, where, where it's a first-person perspective and players are the person behind the camera, and it's you, uh, Chris, playing as, as, as the hero, or Orion, or anybody who's playing, you are the hero. You're not playing as a character. Um, and, uh, and then it's about your interactions with a, with a, a character on the other side of the screen named Hope, who you're basically just trying to help her escape from this, uh, secret Orwellian nation. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's it in, like in a nutshell. Yes. And, and the Orwellian thing is, it is very oppressive. Um, almost claustrophobic actually. The mm. whole experience, which I know you generated, uh, and, uh, it can be quite exhausting. It is. That's, that's, that's a deliberate thing. You actually feel that I, I, it's just, I can't, I'm going to get a break. No. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does feel like you're underwater, especially yes. for the first three episodes. For sure. Yeah. So Republic, as you said, is a stealth game at its heart because the, the woman in it doesn't have that much. And we've got the main protagonist. Well, you are the main protagonist, but the, the character that you help because you're helping her. Because um, you're only telling her to go, to, you're suggesting maybe you want to go down there. She she does generally follow those orders. But I want to talk about the camera controls. How did they evolve? Because stealth games for me are knowing where the guard is and knowing how to evade them, or indeed, if you have to engage them, um, knock them out temporarily. That sort of thing. So in order to do that effectively, one has to see them mm. and one has to see where they're looking. So how did that evolve? Yeah, it's a, kind of an interesting story. Um, it gets into my, my philosophies about, uh, about game design and narrative design. Um, and I really just subscribe to 
the basis of, of, of good narrative design that your, your game mechanics and your story, uh, really needs to be as, as, uh, as close as possible and interconnected as possible. And so, uh, when it came to designing the story and designing the gameplay for Republic, I knew that I wanted to tell a story, first of all, that was aligned with what you're doing on your device in your hand, right? So I wanted to have a, a, a game that was all about connecting with another character on the other side of this, of, of this device. Yeah. So the, the phone was the big first part of it. And now we're looking at different camera views into the world um, initially. And it was really going to be, at, at the very beginning, was a game that was kind of based on just Mass Effect types of um, dialogue trees without any action, without any surveillance cameras, just like kind of one-on-one conversations. And then um, I, I pitched the game to uh, a developer or to a publisher and they came back and said, "No, we want we want to see more action." So I went back to the I went back to it. I said, "Okay, well, what can we do?" Well, I don't. I want to tell a story about surveillance, and you know, we need to get better views into the world and maybe some more action. So it just like the, the light bulb came on and said, "Okay, we're going to be viewing this this world through surveillance cameras," and uh, and that's when everything kind of came together in Unity. We moved the the camera to uh, kind of a more of an isometric position position, and instantly the game started to look like the first Resident Evil. And I got really excited because I'm a huge fan of that game. And uh, I really wanted, I always want to do like a survival horror type of experience as well. So we, the, the initial idea was at least was to kind of mix um, the first Metal Gear Solid and the first Resident Evil into like a stealth uh, survival type of game experience. Right. But with better voice acting. With, uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Actually, a lot of the actors in Metal Gear are in our game. So uh, <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't, I, I, the, the, especially in MGS4, the voice acting is Phenomenal. phenomenal. Oh, I was referring to Resident Evil. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sorry. Not Def- no, no, no. Uh, but that, that, definitely for the time. Uh, yeah. It'd, it'd be good, but when you look back, it, ugh, not so Oh, yeah. It's, it's infamous now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, we're not going to repeat the lines, but we all know what's said. Please don't, yeah. Please don't. <laughs> I don't like the fact that it's become a meme. No one wants uh, that. No one wants that. <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> Especially uh, for the people associated with writing and performing those, those lines. Yeah, so someone had to say, you know, like wizards on the moon, um, <laughs> or coming from the moon. Yeah, I'll come so, and bring it back. Yes, um, I, I just wanted to understand that because I thought it was an ingenious system that you've oh, got. Thank you. You've got this oppressive regime that clearly has to watch everything at all times, has cameras everywhere. Hang on, this sounds like where I live. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, London was a. I was actually in London as I was writing um, a lot of the initial ideas for the game. And yeah, and you can look out the window. Yep, it's another camera. Yep, no, for sure. And it's like, yeah, well, and I think I think about London honestly when I'm when I'm reading 1984 and Brave New World. That's you know for yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah. Anyway, on to more. So I just wanted to figure out because you can't sneak past someone if you can't see them. Um, you know the, the original thief, not the new one. It's the, mm. about that. The original one was really, really good at that, and it was really. And of course, it was released after Metal Gear, but it was, it was another game, that, the stealth game that I really enjoyed. Until they put Undead in it, you can't sneak past Undead because they're undead. Right, right, yeah, no. <laughs> and that's where the whole game fell apart. It's you know, for my, in my opinion, people can yell at me, but you know, I'm right. Um, <laughs> the next question is really. Uh, about the the platform uh, that you chose, um, it plays Republic plays like and feels like and looks like a full blown you know console release. When I say console, I don't mean Vita. I mean PS4 or something like that. It feels like that for me. 
when I'm playing it. I don't feel like, I mean, I happened, feel like a, a full-blown console game that I happen to be playing on my 5S iPhone. Um, this is a platform, so, it, but, so, so it's a mobile platform. What challenges did you face, and how did you achieve that? That feeling. Yeah, so the man, if you look at the game, I think you can see that we, we took on a lot of challenges. Mm. Uh, you know, even going back to our Kickstarter and uh, and the, the size of the team and the, and the scope of the game that I was trying to create was really um, just, I think, uh, not really well thought out um, and, and maybe a little bit too uh, optimistic. Um, you know, especially as I was trying to come up with a game that we could release in a year or two. It's, you know, we're three years into it. It'll be four years by the time we're done with it. Mm. Uh, so we, yeah, we tackle so many things with facial performance, motion capture, um, a different kind of gameplay mechanic. But the, the number one thing that I wanted to achieve when it came to the gameplay was to realize this, this one-touch vision that I had. Uh, and it ended up being the, the hardest thing I've ever designed. And uh, I do think I'm going to look back at my career, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years and, 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 and put a spotlight on, on this one thing in particular, something that uh, I think is one of the, the better accomplishments. Uh, that and and, the, and specifically what the what, what it was was uh, is the idea of yeah taking like this experience that you could play on console, like a Metal Gear game or like Resident Evil game, uh, games that sometimes take as many as fifteen or seventeen buttons to really maneuver and, yeah. and kind of have to wrap your head around, and then taking that experience and then making it work for one finger press on a touch screen was incredibly difficult. Um, in a 3D space, we well, had uh, so, to unlearn everything, didn't you? Sorry, I'll just yeah, no, no I, exactly. I had to go start from scratch, and and there's so many different methods that we that we had to go through to wrap our heads around it to actually have something that was that that felt good, and um, and one of those things in particular was uh, is one of the things I like to talk about is that when on Metal Gear, for example, uh, or Halo, or Mo- pretty much every single console game, the designers or the director, they'll sit down and they'll kind of map out like what the buttons are for the game. And then they'll tell the player and the player has to meet them halfway. But um, with Republic, what we found was more effective was that we would put the game in front of somebody and then we would tell them, okay, go attack the guard or go sneak into this cover or go into this locker or try to do this, try to do this. And we would watch how they would naturally go, what they expected the game to do. Mm. Um, or how the, how would they expect the game to respond to their gestures because they already have this pre-established vocabulary of gestures that Apple yes. um, has already basically in, uh, taught them based on how the, the how the OS functions. Yeah. So we we found that we had to just do the reversal. But okay, these these playtesters are going to teach us what gestures we're going to support because this is how they're naturally coming into the game. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting um, interesting process. I've encountered a few games that say you can touch the screen any way you like. Right, yes, mm. and therefore you can actually interact with some an object that's actually on the screen in that geographical place on the screen, right? Mm. Yes, off you go. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. it. That's, yeah. that's the, I mean, imagine if you had uh, you had that technology back in 1997, where you could go to TV and just press the screen. Yep. Actually, that technology probably did exist back then, but let's not discuss it now. Uh, but anyway, it's for general consumption, how different mm-hmm. would the game would have been? Right. Well, video games would have been. I mean, uh, it's only the DS when it, you know, I believe it wasn't the DS before, you know, the iPhone came out. Like more or less the same time, but it was just we had that idea of you start touching things on a screen and interacting with the screen as a dynamic space. It's changing. It's a space that changes, and therefore, whenever you, it, it's you have to unlearn what you've learned. 
so you know, the, the, and it's the same. It, it wasn't so much an evolution, was it? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. It's more of a devolution, and, and yeah. something I felt like was was really important for the industry. And I still feel this this way. Um, well, I felt this way in 2011 when we started the game, and I feel this way in 2014. Is that I still lament the fact that you know the games that you and I are playing, um, like Destiny, for example, are still only enjoyed by a very small fraction of the world's population for for some very obvious reasons, like the the the, the need for you know a $400 console and a $60 game and a PlayStation Plus exclusive uh, or PlayStation Plus subscription, and uh, you know all these different like factors that 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 really just diminish. The, yeah. the accessibility of these games and the controller, like having to wrap your head around a 17-button controller is also really difficult for a lot of people. And now you have these devices in everybody's pockets and everybody's coffee tables um, where they don't have to learn anything. They can just naturally uh, approach the game. And that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a game that you know I wanted to play and my peers wanted to play, but that it was accessible to literally hundreds of millions of people as opposed to the 50, 60 million people that really get console games. Yeah. I think for me, the, the big division is not being, being elitist, it's a point of fact. If you can sit someone down with that controller that's riddled with buttons and then say, see that over there, I want you, to, you, you first person, there's an object in the middle of the room, I want you to focus on that object and then walk around it and still see it in, in the centre of your vision. Can you do that? <laughs> now, you and I can do that. We don't even think about it. Circle strafing, without it, we're dead. We're dead. You know, it's just... We've been doing it for decades, okay? Right. Even from back in the golden eye days. We've been doing it for that long. But for most people, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to look down or up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and walk into the wall. Like, what, what are you? And you just, you can't communicate to them what they're supposed to be doing. You can't. Mm. You just, it's difficult. They just it's really to, hard. Um, yeah. You know, I have these, these nightmare scenarios, uh, you know, having worked on Metal Gear Solid 4, and I remember taking the, the, the Tokyo Game Show build to Tokyo Game Show 2008, and especially for the Japanese players who are not used to dual analog sticks, uh, watching them play MGS4 was just horrifying because I would put the controller in their hands and, okay, go ahead, like go for it, you know, manning the booth and everything. Yeah. And their, their right thumb couldn't be more further away from the right analog stick. And they're getting confused and they're moving snake along. They're just hoping that the camera's going to auto-correct for them and it's not doing that. And I'm just saying, man, like... As an industry, we're really relying too much on people to to really be able to you know, grasp this whole this whole idea. Again, I love I love console games, but I, I think it's it we're in a different much. place. You know, we talk to you know talk to people about it, and it's like no, we just don't get it. And yeah, anyway, I mean, uh, one of the games that your that Republic reminds me of is is the Room or the Room yeah, one yeah, and two. Yeah, yeah, we love we love Barry and the team over there. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of. Uh, I think that there's a symbiosis between you two and that you're making games that, A, don't filch monies from you every 20 seconds in order to... Yes, it's you know, a big core tenant. Uh, and, yeah, it's a big core tenant of mobile games that don't have to exist. Yep. And you you know that, and Barry knows and that. He knows that, yes. And he's been on the show, so I can say that with authority. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, he's... Yeah. <laughs> He's not afraid to share his opinions about uh, about monetization, and I, I all I do is I'm in the I'm in the background just cheering him on, like go Barry, go, come on, dude. <laughs> Doesn't have to be that way. Uh, yep. And uh, I've played some fantastic games on my phone and uh, and other devices that don't need to to fleece the, the user. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you that for me the, the, there's a lot of commonality between you've taken the interface and said you know they can do amazing things. It may not have a thousand buttons. But that doesn't matter. 
you can still do amazing things because look, you can actually interact with the with the, the 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 geography of the of the room by simply pointing at it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it, and that's a that's a that's a huge uh, you know design philosophy for us. And uh, and funny enough, uh, despite the fact that it was on console and online only, um, and I and I think they, I wish they had a little more success. But I think a uh, developer that really gets this as well is that game company with Journey. Oh. Um, I really felt that they 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 had a seventeen button controller at their disposal, but they only asked you to use like two or three of those buttons. Yeah, and I love it. I love it. The fact that the only means of communication is a single note. Yep. That was so brilliant and so so elegant and I think uh we should troll with that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Even though yeah, even though you know that people tried for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, moving on from the interface stuff, let's talk about uh, the underlying code if you will, um or the interaction. Sure. The AI how have you managed the realistic react interaction of guards to some conceit where people don't act like that? How have you balanced that? Because that's the big thing with stealth games is that why is he really just staring at the wall like mm. that? How have you managed that? There's a suspension of disbelief. There's a, it's tricky, isn't it? Can you talk me through that? Sure, yeah, it, it is It is tricky. Uh, you can invest a lot of time in, into um, guard patrols. Uh, and, you know, I talked to Miyazaki about this as well on Dark Souls. If you actually look off in the distance, those the, the mobs and the enemies are just standing there. You know, uh, and, and maybe it works better for Dark Souls because you kind of get it's an action game. And, these, and you're uh, also you're just stealing yourself for the fact that I'm going to die again, aren't I? No. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you're going to die. No, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> and, I, I, and funny enough, I think you actually, when you see that they're not patrolling, you have like the sigh of relief. Yeah. You know? like, oh, I'm so glad they're like a pretty, pretty dumb. Um, and you want to take advantage of that. But yeah, for our game, uh, you know, it was something that I, I, I decided not to invest too much time and effort into because I actually, I am. I am kind of uh, preying on people's expectations or lack of expectations for, for, for realism when it comes to patrolling guards because stealth has become, I feel like, a much more broad genre, even in the last year or two, um, you know, playing Alien, Alien Isolation, playing Last of Us, um, uh, Shadow of Mordor. Uh, there's so many games now that in- incorporate stealth mechanics uh, that uh, it feels like, you know, it's, uh, it's an area that we could be better about, but it doesn't seem like the, the players are, are, are wanting in that space. Um, that being said... You know the, the the guard AI is actually built on a pretty complex uh, AI system, but that we probably don't use to its fullest. Uh, but we really focus on I think the the core area of the game that I, I would say is uh, that needs the most improvement or the most love and attention that will never be perfect, and that is Hope's AI. Um, I didn't want players to have to babysit her, especially through one touch movements, and so she will auto cover uh, and try to do smart things uh, based on the situation. And I would say like you know eighty percent, ninety percent of the time she does. Uh, what the player wants her to do, and they, I watch playtests, and they say, "Wow, that was really smart," and uh, that always makes me happy. But there are really weird ex- uh, spaces where we don't know where the what the player wants her to do, and and uh, we're kind of like rolling the dice a little bit, and they can get some frustration from the player. And again, it's I massage that every time we have a new release, and it, it gets better and better and better and better, but it's just never going to be perfect. It, it, it does uh, intrigue me about AI. People call it AI, and I was like, well. It really, it's a series of Boolean logic subroutines, but okay, let's call it. Sure. Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's like if, and, or then. And this this, this what it is. It's like, you know, if you're there, then this guard will do that. If you're there, then the guard will do that. And it's a it's the most purest 
it's the way I believe of showing how that logic works. Uh, and I just wanted to talk to you about that because I've never really had anyone give me a proper straight answer about how you deal with that suspension of disbelief when you see that guard shuffling around doing the same route over and over again. But considering they're in this dreadful, oppressive regime, it kind of fits. It does. Uh, you know, it, we also have one of the things that you, you probably noticed, especially in episode one, and we, we do better in, in, in episode two and episode three about this, but in episode one, all the guards look the exact same. They have the same face. Uh, they're all bald. <laughs> yes. uh, and I was really worried about it. And uh, I thought people were going to bring it up in reviews and players and, and nobody brought it up. Nobody cared. No, and, I, uh, I, I did. Uh, I did notice it. I noticed uh, you would. I figured you would. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought to myself, these are targets. These are markers. These are things that you have to get by. They don't. They do have personalities because you can click on them and find out about them, and they have these bios to each one, which is really fun. And I like that touch. Mm. It gives them a bit of a history. Like, yeah, this this book's like ADD and all sorts of nonsense, and this he's got emotional problems, and like, it doesn't really affect the game in any way. You know, there's still this, but. At least it gives them a personality before mm. you knock them out of a taser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. A little sympathy, maybe, from the player. So, uh, my last question. I know, sad. It's been fun. Um, but the last question. I want to talk about currency. Not in real terms, but currency in the game. Uh, as a tabletop gamer myself, I'm fine, fascinated by currencies that exist in, in various mm. games. They don't exist in all tabletop games, but they do exist in the vast majority of them. Um, acquiring it and, and losing it, and that's sort of, and, use, and using it wisely because it's usually very sparse. Now, the currency in the game, I believe, in the public, you might be wrong in thinking this is it's, it's the power source in the smartphone that the character, well, your the, the girl you're helping out, is has on upon her person. How did that come about? There's the special abilities that they have, and you can use them based on various things you do and pick up and sort and things you collect throughout the and data that you collect throughout the world how how did that en- engine come about how did that yeah um, i it's a good question i i don't remember exactly uh how we how we stumbled upon the idea that uh of this of this data broker and these terminals um well at least let me just put it this way it's kind of wrapped into lots of different systems uh but uh one of the systems in the game that's unique uh, that I'm kind of surprised you didn't bring up because if, from a design perspective, uh, a lot of people have questions and a lot of people don't like it and a lot of people do like it. Is, is our is our fail state? Um, oh right, yes. Well, I don't I, want to talk about that because I don't. I I like it, and I don't think it's no offense to yourself, uh, uh, particularly uh, important. Um, how can I put this? I didn't think it was a it was a good idea that you just basically get thrown into a cell. And say, go on, off you go, do it again, right? And yeah, so okay. yeah. No, it's a, uh, it's, it's really interesting. This is one of the, my, the, my favorite topics actually when it comes to the design of the game. Is that, as you can tell, we try to make the game as realistic as possible. Um, I try to have as little, very little UI elements in the game as possible, and uh, and one of the things I wanted to do was I want to tell a story in real time. I didn't want to take this video game conceit that we've had for thirty years about you know this character just dies in front of you and now. A split second later, they're back and resurrected back in time. There's like this time travel mechanic, and then you're just you're just asked to do it over again. I wanted there to be actually greater stakes in the fact that um, you know that what you do is meaningful, and that there is no going back to old save files and loading them up again. So there's all these different things I really wanted to do, 
And the best idea that I could come up with at the time was that she would get captured and escorted to these confinement cells. And then players would then have to kind of hack her out of those confinement cells. And that was the best idea that I could have. Um, and then inside of each of one of those confinement cells, uh, we have these, these terminals where you can then sell uh, all this data that you are collecting. That's, and the, 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 more, the more sensitive the, 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 the data or the, or the information is, the, the higher price that you get back from the data broker. That's right. Um, yeah. And so I, I was really inspired by, obviously, the, the Resident Evil 4 merchant in terms of like the, the language and the, uh, the verbiage that the, that the data broker uses, um, the, 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 the confinement cells, and your ability to buy more abilities at where you resurrect, basically, is very inspired by Dark Souls' bonfire uh, system. But at the, the thing, you know, to kind of wrap it all up, is that um, a lot of people criticize it as being kind of a boring mechanic or it's not, it's not believable that, hey, why would, why would they keep throwing her in the cell if they keep sneaking out? And, oh, I'm, no. I'm, and yeah. I throw the, I throw it back as like, oh, is that less believable than she dying right in front of your face, and then you resur- she resur- her resurrecting like you know, you know, a minute or five minutes beforehand? Like, is that more believable? You know? No. And I, I just I, I, I sorry. One last point yeah. is that I just I just yeah. got in trouble by right. putting a spotlight on something that is a trope that players totally understand that this whole resurrection mechanic, I basically put the spotlight on the fact that that didn't make sense. And I had a, a more believable solution, but it actually to most players comes across as a least, a less believable solution. Correct. Um, for me, I didn't have a problem with it because I didn't, I, I didn't want to raise it. It's because I mean, clearly it's an issue you wanted to chat about. And I appreciate your, your candor. Of course. Is that uh, it fit the story. She's precious. She's, she's, she's valuable. Why would they kill her? Mm. She's valuable. Um, she's a commodity, a very valuable commodity. That's established from the outset. Why would they kill her? Yeah, that's um, another part. Yeah, that for sure. So that's why I think that makes sense. It, they, you know, they, they throw her back because they, they're under strict orders to keep her contained. Um, they're not orders to – they don't have – the the rights to to kill her and they, you know, mm. she can't defend herself anyway they're not the guards aren't monsters correct you know they're not psychotic or well, maybe some of them are but you know the ones that uh, are just patrolling and doing their job mm. they're you know they're not psychotic certainly some of the other more senior protagonists are clearly not well. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. Yeah, that's. I agree. I agree. Uh, not it, it borders on on uh, you know uh, white cat stroking uh, lunacy, mm-hmm. but uh, that's again uh, it's just conceit of the game and and, and the environment in the, in the world, the oppressive world that you've created. Um, it no, I, it's not something I, I wanted to. To, to delve into because I, I just found it fascinating. Like I said, I'm fascinated by the idea that you've got this currency and this currency can be used to buy abilities which make your the player's life easier. But right. there, there's, an, there's a cost to them, not just buying them but also using them. And as you use them, the power and the phone, the smartphone that the, the, the girl is, 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 is wielding de- deteriorates every time you use these abilities. Correct. So, yeah, I just wanted to delve into that really yeah yeah and i think it's an interesting evolution on how it came to be and uh, it, it 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 adds yet more detail to an extraordinary extraordinary game so tell us where you can get the public and i understand that it's in episodic form as first three episodes the third episode is coming out on the 23rd of october i understand 
Yes, yes. Uh, so it's um, yeah, episode three, ones and zeros is uh, is coming out on the twenty third on on Thursday, and it marks the first time we'll be on Google Play. Uh, the game's also on the Amazon App Store, and then we've been on iOS since episode one. So um, yeah, we're just uh, really excited about it. It's our longest episode to date. Uh, it's our most ambitious. Uh, it took us the longest to make this one, unfortunately, uh, but uh, yeah, we really appreciate appreciate people's patience and uh, we're already hard at work on episode four and five so uh, excited to wrap this whole thing up and the ios devices is six and above isn't it oh actually no we um we 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 can't actually lock out people uh even though i think a lot of people on the team would like to uh but uh, yeah the game i would say the game is uh is performant on the 4s to a certain degree but definitely from the 5 iphone 5 up it's uh it's buttery smooth uh and then for the you know we, the game runs pretty good on the ipad 2 but definitely on the ipad 3 and above it's uh it's it's fantastic and runs at 60 frames on the more of the recent devices so. yeah i have been running it on a 5s uh, oh great yeah it should yeah so it should run that, just that perfectly. was great yeah that was that was uh and it didn't heat up which is weird. I've had some other games like threes causing it to heat up. Like interesting. It's just threes. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you had a bunch of stuff in the background. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to look at that. But sometimes, like, what are you doing? It's just a. I know, right? That's that's, that's bizarre. I mean, if there's any game that's going to burn up your iPhone, it'll be Republic. <laughs> it's not going to be threes. Yeah. Right. That's so funny. But it, it's coming. It's out on Android as well. Uh, and but it's also coming out on Windows and Mac. Computers, is that yes, right? Late, yeah, late, late, later this year. I know that our a lot of people don't believe us, but it, we are actually aiming for, um, and we will be making our, our ship date uh, later this year on, on Steam. But um, yeah, I'm the, just curious. Have, so, will that have a mouse interface? Yes, that, it's 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 mouse and keyboard. Um, right. It has a bunch of hotkeys. Uh, the game the game feels great uh, on PC as well, and uh, we're going to be revealing a little bit more about that in the in the next uh, month or two. But uh, yeah, we're running out of time. On it, we have the, the game is actually available for backers right now um, on the, for PC backers, and so um, we've gotten just a, a lot of awesome, really positive feedback. Uh, actually, more so than we expected. So uh, we've got a lot of high hopes for the game once it comes to, to Steam. But um, the first the first order of business was really to get on Android um, and uh, and kind of expand the the, the offering uh, when Episode Three came out. And now now the team is working on PC and now Episode Four and Five. Yeah, it's wonderful how the uh, Android platform has flourished over the last 18 months. Yeah, yeah for I sure. genuinely mean that. It just, no, yeah, me too. Suddenly, all of a sudden, it was it was moribund for years. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone's going, I think we could have to concede defeat because <laughs> mm-hmm. everyone has this. They're everywhere. Android phones are everywhere, uh, whether you like it or not. I, I defected to uh, from a Galaxy S2 um, to an S five S, I don't regret it. Far from it. I mean, it's just you know they're both. It's the a great, same. yeah. They're they're both great devices. Yeah, so that's good. Ryan, it's been fantastic chatting to you. Oh, thank you. I yeah. Wish you the very best of luck, you and your team, and your future endeavors. Uh, and uh, look forward to uh, episodes three, of course, and four and five, and uh, how uh, things uh, hopefully a little bit more cheer. <laughs> we'll, we'll see Chris we'll see. <laughs> do, no guarantees can we have a blue sky can, can we, I don't know we? we'll, we'll, you and I will we'll have to talk we'll have to talk. <laughs> we'll have to talk again but I appreciate you taking the time this was a lot of fun yeah and I appreciate your time too thanks very much alright thanks Chris and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory do leave us an iTunes review and you can also don't forget listen to us on stitcher.com so just go to stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on Twitter 
at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, listen to the show, want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!